Praise God. Well, we're going to continue with our, our series on, on how to pray. And uh, I was sitting in a, uh, a coffee shop just recently with a friend, and uh, they were talking to me about a situation where they'd been praying for a breakthrough. And they said that another friend had asked them this question, and this question was, did you pray enough? Did you pray enough? And uh, it was almost kind of like a, a rhetorical question, if you like, because I felt like they were asking me that question, how much is enough? How much is enough? Where is the enough threshold? Because I guess for all of us, if we are praying for a situation where we're needing to see a breakthrough, if we knew that X marked the spot for what was enough or here was the threshold, we would all endeavor to want to pray that much. Because if that was the point that would trigger breakthrough, we'd say, well, now I know how to quantify how much is enough. But the trouble is that we often don't know, but we want to know how much is enough. And often what happens with prayer when we think like that is we come to this place where we think that all that prayer is, all that prayer is, is just about doing enough asking or enough intercession or enough kind of spiritual warfare. And if we can do it earnestly enough, it's going to trigger stuff. It's going to make stuff happen. Now, them things, those things sorry, are absolutely essential. We do need to ask. We do need to intercede. We do need to enter into what's called spiritual warfare. And Wendy will be unpacking that later in the month. But that's essential. But what I want us to understand is that in itself, in other words, if prayer is just that, it's not enough. Because actually what happens is if we reduce our time with God to just the time where we fill it jam-packed with as much requests and, and kind of, you know that phrase that they use in the prayer, we take our shopping carts and we ram them at heaven's gates. And we just keep ramming them and, and we, we just keep bombarding God and we just think we've got to speak as earnestly we can for as long as we can to get the breakthrough we can. Oh my days, how many people know that sounds exhausting? <laughs> that sounds overwhelming. Anyone ever tried it? I've tried it. Got myself proper fired up. I'm going to go for it today. And, you know, but you kind of go for it and you just after a while you think, man, I can't just keep up this constant kind of flow of words and requests, words and requests, words and requests. Friends, be at ease because I want us to understand something today. Prayer is more than just words. Prayer is more than just words. God never intended this one-way relationship where we pull out our lists and we bombard heaven with as many requests and spoken words as possible. But God's heart, Jesus' heart, is a two-way relationship. A, a, a thing called prayer that helps us to develop and deepen our relationship with him. A two-way conversation, a talking and listening. Maybe sometimes God's sitting there thinking, if only I could get a word in edgeways. And if that's happening, we're not really enjoying what prayer really is. T.S. Eliot said, prayer is more than an order of words, the conscious occupation of the praying mind, or the sound of the voice praying. Prayer is more than those things, just those things. In other words, there must be something else that goes alongside those things that we said are important, are asking an intercession, etc., there must be something else that goes alongside that, that kind of flows with that. 
that dovetails and, and the two things sit in harmony alongside each other. And that is an understanding that prayer is also simply about enjoying his presence. It's about learning to listen to him. To actually know that silence is okay so I can hear his voice. It's about learning to recenter and refocus upon Jesus. Actually, it's about learning to be rooted not just in this kind of sense of activity that makes me think that prayer is about doing, 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 doing. But that actually prayer is about being. Just being in God's presence. Sitting with him. That actually all my energy is not pouring into this way of asking that's just so determined to try and make things happen that I miss out on the things he wants to say, the things he wants to speak, the perspective he wants to bring. Listen, I'm just going to read you a scripture. I've gone off script already. Good, he says on the front row. Come on, where is it? I read this the other day, Psalm 73, and I felt God say something, and someone needs to hear this. But when I thought how to understand this, Psalm 73, verse 16 to 17, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task couldn't get my head around it until I went into the sanctuary of God then I discerned their end I want to say to some people and I felt God say to me when there are things you can't understand and you're wearying yourself out trying to understand them know this discernment and perspective is found in my presence when we went when he said when until I went into the sanctuary of God then I discerned. Discernment and perspective. Now, this thing that we're talking about today is called contemplative prayer. That's what I'm talking about. Now, the truth is, when I talk about things like silence, I am a little awkward around silence. Those of me who know me well know that that's the case. I'm pretty good at trying to fill it. Most of the time. In fact, often if I'm being very honest, and I, I'm, I know I've said this before, but I kind of measure things by it. You know, like it's like almost like is volume an indicator sometimes of, you know, how good something is. And so I, I kind of sometimes get a little awkward around it and feel like I need to fill it. And so like the other day, Jake said to me, uh, and I do this quite a bit with his mates. I realized it the other day when I was driving him to, to Norwich, he was taking one of his mates from football to, to go to gravity on the trampolines over there. And... Uh, when we were going, I noticed, I didn't, when silence came in the car, when him and his mate were in the back chatting, my mind's going, what shall I ask his mate? How can I get conversation going? So my mind's going over time thinking about, I need to fill the silence because it's awkward and, and maybe things aren't going very well. I thought, I do that a lot. I can do that as well sometimes in groups. I can do that in my own prayer times. Naturally speaking, I'm probably more Martha than Mary. I find it easier to be busy than sit. And that's because I fall into this same way of thinking that a lot of people do, and they talk about this in the prayer course. We tend to think if we sit in silence, we aren't getting anything done. And so like, I need to be more active. But actually, contemplative prayer isn't about silence in itself. It's about presence. It's about refocusing upon Jesus and learning then to carry his presence into the day. Carrying his presence with a heightened sense and a heightened awareness that he is with me and that he is for me. 
And I love this quote that I read on the course. It says, the contemplative life has the power to change the world by changing the person who prays. So when we pray, your kingdom come, actually contemplative prayer is part of that because I've learned to sit and hear and receive from him. The power to change the world is brought about because God is changing me as I'm in his presence. Now let me give you a few quotes about what contemplative prayer really is. Some beautiful stuff here. It says, if petition is prayer at its simplest and intercession is prayer as its most powerful, contemplation is prayer at its deepest and most personally transformational. Teresa Avila, she was a 16th century Spanish nun, describes contemplative prayer as the prayer of quiet, an intimate sharing between friends. Isn't that beautiful? An intimate sharing between friends. Richard Foster describes it as a loving attentiveness to God in which talk recedes into the background and feeling comes to the foreground. And so there's kind of three themes that we we see circle around there that help us to understand what contemplative prayer is. Number one, it's about experiencing God's love and expressing my love for him. Number two, it's mostly a quiet form of silent meditation upon Christ in which we just enjoy his presence without doing or saying anything. Number three, it is experiential rather than logical, an intimate sharing, a feeling that comes to the foreground. Aren't you glad today that you serve a God? It's not it's experiential, not just all theory. <laughs> that he wants us to feel and to taste and see and know that he is good. But the thing is that nowadays, you know, as you start talking about silent meditation, alarm bells start going off. Particularly, I think that's increasing as you go through uh, kind of the generations, as, as kind of the younger generations, particularly, if you start talking to them about meditation and stuff like that, the old kind of like Middle Eastern religion kind of alarm bells start going off. It sounds a bit kind of mystical and a bit kind of new agey, a bit kind of tree huggy or something like that. And I want to just say to you that there is such a thing as biblical meditation. There is such a thing as biblical meditation. We're going to look at that in a moment. Biblical meditation is entirely focused upon Jesus Christ. So I want to say to you today, if it's anything that isn't focused upon Jesus, don't touch it. Because biblical meditation is entirely focused upon him. It's thinking about him and and focusing upon him. And it's been in the Bible and it's been in our Christian heritage and in our history for years. In the Old Testament, Psalm 19 and verse 14, King David said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 62 verse 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Psalm 46 verse 10, you'll know this one well. Be still and know. No, not no, no. Be still and know that I am God. Our prayer life has to include this because when God says in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17, pray continually, have you ever read that and thought, how? Because none of us can walk through this life 24 hours a day chatting at God. Kind of just non-stop words, speaking. I don't, I don't believe that Jesus did that himself. 
You know, I was reading the other day about, we know that he would spend all night in prayer. Friends, he cannot have just talked all night long. Just... Because he talks about how I only speak the things that the Father says to me and the things that the Father gives me. How can you hear if you're talking all the time? There had to be, John 12 that is, by the way, verse 49. How can prayer be praying continually if he says, I'm hearing the Father speaking to me? He had to have spent time just enjoying the Father's presence. There had to have just been a loving attentiveness, a stillness that he brought, a silent meditation, a listening in to the Father's heart to receive the things to say. And so if Jesus done that, friends, surely we need to. What if rather than pulling out our lists and defaulting to prayer as just being an unloading of requests, that we actually learn to just have times where we sat in his presence or we walked slowly and quietly with him and we just enjoyed the Father's presence. We just enjoyed listening and focusing upon him and quietly enjoying his love. You see, the thing is, when you go new agey, mystical, Eastern religion, all this hum, rubbish, it's about trying to empty your mind. But actually, biblical meditation is the very opposite of that. You're not trying to empty your mind, you're looking to fill your mind with Christ. You're looking to fill your mind and your thoughts and your focus with God. Matthew 22, verse 37, I'd like you to read this with me. Jesus speaking to you today. Hear him speaking to your heart today. He says this, you shall love the Lord your God. Come on, I can't hear you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Anyone else like me struggle to sometimes bring the level of attention that's needed when they get alone with God? Anyone else like me struggle with distraction? with thoughts that want to go off down routes that you just think, I don't even know where that came from. Anyone else like me honest enough to say, I've stood and sat in church on a Sunday morning singing, Waymaker, miracle worker, did I shut the window? What's for dinner? That was just on the spot, by the way, that was. Didn't sing that in the first service. That was just in the moment. Your mind. What do we do about that? How do we learn to love God with all our mind? We're going to get into that in a minute and some keys for what contemplative prayer there is. But learning to want to bring our full attention and our full focus because Psalm 46 verse 10 says that it's actually be still. That means I need to seek to want to be still. Be still and yet be fully present. Not be still and my mind's off over here, but be still and be fully present in the presence of God. It says be still and know that I am God. In other words, God says when we learn this secret You encounter me. How many people want to encounter God? How many people want a prayer life that when you draw aside to be with him, it's more than just job done, God, but you feel his presence, that you know that he's God, that you encounter him in that place. That's what we're chasing. That's what we're seeking. That's the goal, that we would meet with God. People say, well, this meditation stuff, this contemplation stuff is not something I've really ever experienced. I beg to differ. If you, if you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you've been coming to church for a while, I reckon you have experienced it. It's just you haven't realized this is how we're defining it. 
Let me explain what I mean by that. Has anyone here ever had an experience when they're worshipping God and all of a sudden they just feel caught up in that moment? And all of a sudden it's like other things, other people, surrounding, setting, time and everything like that seems to just disappear to the background and you just feel consumed with God. There's a focus upon God. You're not worried about what's going on. You don't know what's happening you know, I remember seeing this when I first got saved and I first come to church. I remember seeing this in my father-in-law, Tim. He's on holiday, so I can say what I want today, okay? Not really. Jokes. Tim, if you're watching, forgive me. But he might be in his camper van somewhere. Um, I remember when I first started coming to church, before I was saved and when I was saved, I used to look at Tim and, I used, and he just used to be away. Eyes closed, hands up like this. And he was just like, I just thought he looked lost. Just in that moment and away like that. Then I got saved. I continued to come to church. I moved on. And then I joined the band and the worship band and started to play guitar and stuff like that. And then I'd get some responsibility of leading worship a little bit. And I quickly found something that I, like the other worship leaders, could never get his attention. Because he was just away. And I remember we'd stare at him because we'd take our cues from the man who was leading the, you know, when to stop, if there was anything that needed putting in, when we'd worship, when was the word coming. You couldn't get his attention. And I remember no matter, I, I used to literally, honestly, I did think this. I just used to sort of thought to myself, is there some sort of thing whereby if you just stare at them for long enough, they'll suddenly have that feeling, someone's staring at me. So it's like that. Waymaker, miracle of God. No, he's still not opening his eyes. You know, Charles Wesley said that, famous hymn writer said this, he talks about being lost in wonder, love, and praise. Honestly, that is and still is the definition of Tim Porter. He just gets lost in wonder, love, and praise. You go around his house, it won't be long before you hear him on the piano. I've known that myself when everything else seems to fade into the background. You're caught up in God's presence. It can be like that. That could have been what we're talking about. And you think, oh, I didn't know that's what you'd call contemplation. Absolutely. Or it could be when you're sitting or you're out for a walk and suddenly you're just out there and suddenly it's just like the presence of God, the peace of God envelops you and words can't describe it. Or you're filled with the Spirit and there's no words for it. And see, the beautiful and reassuring thing about this is it begins to actually release some pressure because so many people get caught up in thinking, I can't pray out loud. Because what happens is we think that prayer is just words. We think it's just words. Now, of course, it involves the spoken element. Of course, we need to show up and we need to speak up. But friends, we also need to learn to listen. And what I'm saying is it begins to relieve the pressure because it don't matter if you pray a little prayer, if you don't pray a particular prayer that you think was particularly well-structured or whatever. Listen, if God can start revivals in places like Hebrides by young ladies who stand up and just simply pray out, I love Jesus. Let's not get all hooked up on the right form of words. I mean, Jesus himself says, don't rabbit on, don't babble like the Pharisees do. It's not about that. It's not about the right words, but we're learning another dimension to our prayer, which is that, yes, it is spoken, but it is also silent. It is learning to listen. So it's its fullest and deepest experience. Pete Gregg says, followers of Jesus have every reason to expect and desire encounters with God in prayer that lie beyond the realm of language and logic. So practically, how do we apply this to our lives. Let me just give you a few quick things straight off the, the, the prayer course. I'm not taking any credit for this whatsoever, but it's 
says there that we need to think of contemplative prayer as a journey that passes through three stages. So the first one is meditation, and they call that the me and God stage. It's when I'm in God's presence, I'm trying to fix my thoughts and bring my attention and fix my focus upon him or refocus upon him. Friends, one of the best things you have to help you to achieve this is this book, The Word of God. It's there to help you do that, to focus upon God. Psalm 1, verse 1 to 2, says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law, on his word, day and night. I don't know, what would just happen, you know, if first thing in the morning when we woke up, we reached for this rather than this? What would happen is last thing at night as we laid our head down if we reached for this rather than this? And we just began to meditate upon the Lord. And we began to sit quietly or walk slowly and reflect upon. That's what we've got to do. Reflect upon what does this verse mean? I'm diving into this. I'm thinking this through. I'm asking God to show me. I'm highlight something. That's often your experience. You'll read some scripture. I'm just trying to slow myself down. Sometimes I'm racing through and I'm reading. I think, yeah, I've done my X amount of chapters for the day. I'm not actually so bothered about that anymore. I don't mind if one chapter takes me longer. Friends, there's so much gold, so much revelation, so much life in this book. You can skim read it and miss it. But it's learning to slow down and just think, whoa, hang on a second. What does that mean? What does that mean? And reflect upon it and bring him our attention. Sometimes other things can help us. Quotes. Worship songs, a line from a song, a picture, creation. Anyone ever looked at a beautiful scene and just thought, God, you're an artist? And begin to contemplate that and meditate upon that and dwell upon that. It helps us because, as I said, often our minds are scattered. And what we need to learn to do is when stuff tries to distract us and competes for our attention, we learn to just give that to God and come back. Come back to that scripture, come back to that line, come back to that scene, come back to that thought and just sit. And they become like a portal, like a gateway into the presence of God, into an awareness of the presence of God. This week, for me, I read Psalm 79, 13. But we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will give thanks to you forever. I just sat, said, God, I want to sit here right now. I just want to think about it means what it means to have you as my shepherd and what it means for me to be your sheep. I was so blessed. Rick Warren says, no other habit can do more to transform your life and make you more like Jesus than daily reflections on Scripture. So we focus on the Lord. Then two, that helps me move to the second stage, which is contemplation. That's now the God and me stage. We've been in the me and God stage. But now as I meditate upon the Lord, I become more aware of his presence. Things have shifted from me and God to God and me. It's not about me, but Jesus is taking center stage. I become less aware of myself and more aware of God. Matthew 6 verse 6 says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can manage. Now listen to this line. I love this line. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his presence. I find it so easy to let my prayer life get so self-absorbed. But I need to learn to shift the focus. Because prayer is not just about doing, but it's about being in his presence. And don't you find this? 
Say amen with me today if, if, if you're still awake. I know it's a hot one, it's a warm one. But don't you find fit, whenever you've experienced God's presence and you're really kind of caught up in God's presence, don't you find this? That words seem to become less necessary. Amen. It's like they don't feel appropriate or you can't find them. You are God in heaven. Here am I on earth. So I'll let my words be few. And lastly, the third step is communion. That's the only God stage. It was me and God. I was trying to bring my focus. Then it was God and me. I became aware of his presence. Now it's communion. This is where contemplation is entered into its fullest, deepest expression. When I'm encountering God. When I've forgotten about myself. When I'm consumed with him. When time seems to stand still. When I do enter into prayer and worship. It's not like a conscious effort. And as I said earlier, where words don't even seem appropriate. Or needed. Or we can't speak. Friends, why do we need to value this stuff? Because everyone who loves Jesus must understand this, or does understand this, sorry. That Jesus is the ultimate destination, and Jesus is the ultimate desire. Pete Gregg says, your soul is crying out for a deeper encounter with Christ. Wrapping this up. And if your faith is to thrive for years to come, it is, if it is to survive the seasons of darkness and pain, if you're to know and be known by Jesus in a richer, more fulfilling way, if you are to continue to engage with him when words no longer have meaning, if you're to become the loving person he wants you to be and to see the world the way he sees it, you must make space in your busy life for regular meditation, contemplation, and communion with God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So if someone turns around and says to you, Well, what good is sitting around in God's presence in silence to a broken and lost and hurting world outside of our doors? Friends, I want you to answer this a lot. Because the Word tells me the more time I spend beholding him and gazing upon him and bringing my attention and thoughts and focus to him, the more like him I become. And actually what happens is I go out from them times out to a broken and poor and lost world to reflect and radiate Jesus Christ. Listen to me, friends. If you don't spend time in his presence, you will burn out. No matter how passionate you are, no matter how many people you want to tell, about Jesus, if you are not spending time in his presence, you will burn out because you need to come and refuel. You need to come and be filled up. And we need to learn that every day as we go out into the world in which we live because you're a witness in that place and God has put you in that place. One of the best things you can do is learn to sit and be in God's presence. Saturate yourself with the goodness and the love of God and spend time hanging out with him and just sitting at his feet. Being a Martha rather than getting stressed out and worked up in the kitchen. Like, uh, Sorry, being a Mary rather than a Martha who's getting stressed out. Because I've got all these things to do. One of the best things you can do is sit and choose that which is better. Because honestly, friends, it will make you more effective witness. You'll reflect him and radiate him, and you'll carry his presence to a broken and hurt and lost world. You can only give away what you receive, so you need to go and get something to give it away. 
Pete Gregg says, in experiencing the presence of God, we become infectious with his presence. It makes mission sustainable. If I'm just go, 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 and I'm never just sitting with him, I burn out. I need to enjoy the Father's love, listen and focus upon him and refuel. So prayer, what is it? Well, prayer is simplest. Where it starts is asking God. Two, prayer is best as a two-way conversation. It's talk and listen. It's relationship. Prayer is deepest is communion. It's a silent enjoyment of God's presence, an attentive and loving relationship with him. 